What's going on, everybody? This is Black Men Sundays. I'm your host, Court Sylvester Murray. We're talking about generational wealth, finance, and of course, business. And before we introduce today's big guest, this sister is certified. My man, Eric from Hunts Vegas, Alabama. Let me know who you have for our spotlight, my man. Thank you, Corey. I do appreciate that. Today's spotlight, we're going to look at this guy's name is David Stewart. Now, he is officially the second richest black man in the United States. Now, basically, uh, Mr. Stewart, is yeah, get a little information about him. He's an entrepreneur. He's a civic leader, philanthropist, and founder and chairman of the Worldwide Technology, which is the largest black-owned company in the United States. He's committed to expanding opportunities for blacks, and others from historically underrepresented and underserved communities. Now, a little something about Mr. Stewart. Um, in his early days, sometimes he went without a paycheck and he even once watched his car get repossessed from his office parking lot. But today, things are different. Today, he's a majority owner of this $14.5 billion company in sales whose customers include Verizon and the federal government. Now, he grew up in the segregated South with seven siblings. His father worked as mechanic, janitor, and trash collector. Now, Stewart is also known for donating or has donated $1.3 million to the University of Missouri St. Louis in 2018. And he created the David and Thelma Stewart, which is his wife, Institute for Jazz Studies. That's my spotlight for today, Mr. David Stewart. Now back to you, Corey. Man, Eric, I don't know where you're getting these spotlights from, but I'm loving it every week. Let's introduce today's guest. We're talking to sure. D. Wilcox. This sister here is the founder and CEO of the Annie Ruth Foundation. This sister has two master's degrees, over 15 years experience, a nonprofit at the executive level. Let me know anybody black y'all know making these kind of moves because I don't know anybody else. Like I said, she has two master's degrees a business administration degree from Jacksonville University, and she has an educational leadership master's degree from University of North Florida. So she's representing Jacksonville hard up in here. This sister's all about workshops. We're talking about resume writing, interview skills. She was a human resource manager. When we talk about certified, this sister is certified professional human resources, certified professional life coach, company certified diversity facilitator. I haven't even gotten to the awards yet. 2020 Women Who Changed the World Award. Changed the world. 2022 Black History Month honoree. But we talking about Annie Rue today. Annie Rue Foundation, D. Wilcox, welcome to Black Men Sunday. I'm so excited to have you on here. How you doing today, sister? Hi, Corey. Thank you so much. So glad to be here. All right, so let's take care of business. We talking about generational wealth, finance, and business. Talk about Annie Ruth Foundation. How is it set up? I know it was named um, after your grandmother, Ruth Kearney. Um, but talk to us about the foundation because, I mean, you know, you were corporate America. You left that to do your own thing. A lot of people, a lot of especially Black people, Black women, who's over 60% of my audience, even though it's called Black Men Sundays. But the sister say, I wish I can start my own foundation. So. Let's take care of the business first. Let's go. Yeah. Okay. So let's start there. Actually, I worked, like you mentioned, in a lot of nonprofit organizations over, over 20 years of experience, right? And then I had in my head and in my computer a concept to launch my own nonprofit. But because I was a manager in corporate America, I didn't have the time to do that. I was what we call a workaholic, right? I got to work before the sun came up. And when I left home, the sun was already gone down. So I didn't know if I wanted to eat first or just go to sleep, right? I was just exhausted every day and only to wake up the next day and start all over again. So that was my life. And then um, strangely enough, and it wasn't strange because God always has a plan, right? Our company acquired a company in another state that was twice the size of the existing company. And my manager at the time, who was the vice president, she wanted a friend of hers to come over and help with that um, transition. Um, so she invited a friend over and um, she 
met with the friend and they talked about the acquisition and what it was going to take and so forth and so on. And I wasn't a part of those meetings because I was doing my thing running the organization in terms of the human resources department, right? I'm going to make a long story kind of short. This friend who came over saw an opportunity for herself within our organization. So my job was eliminated. And it took me by surprise, right? I, I didn't see it coming. Nobody saw that coming because I was doing a whole lot of things that were very pleasing to a lot of people in the organization. I'll say it that way. And it wasn't the position that I was holding on to. It was all of the things that I was able to do as a result of having the position, right? Just looking out for a lot of people and correcting a lot of wrongs and cutting them off at the path before they even went wrong, right? So I was doing all of that and it felt good. Um, but then, like I said, my job was eliminated. Didn't know why, didn't feel good. But what that allowed me to do was to go home, right, with some sunlight still shining. And it gave me an opportunity to just kind of relax and go, oh my gosh, okay, this feels good. I'm only putting in eight hours. I can go home and relax a bit. But then one Sunday, I was listening to T.D. Jakes. He had a sermon going on. And what he said was, oftentimes, we go to our graves with our passion because we never take action. And I'm like, oh my God, he's talking to me. Because like I said, the concept for a foundation was in my head and somewhat on a computer. So I, I took note of what T.D. Jakes was saying. And I immediately thought of a building that I wanted to purchase for my organization that wasn't even in existence yet. Long story short, and I'll try not to say that because my story is so long. <laughs> but anyway, um, I had been saving some money for a brand new car. Started in 2008, the plan was to buy a brand new car in 2012, four years to save this money and buy it cash because I'm all about that financial wealth and saving and not being in debt, et cetera, what you guys always talk about every Sunday. So my plan was to purchase this car in December, 2012. This transition was taking place in 2012 actually in February, 2012. By the time I exited my management position and went into an individual contributor role, again, my head was spinning. I'm like, Lord, what just happened? Um, so after listening to T.G. Jakes and um, making a plan to go ahead and put my concepts into action, I took that money that I was saving for a car and ended up purchasing a building for the Annie Ruth Foundation. And what I said was, man, all this time I'm thinking I'm saving for a car, and this is four years later, God had a bigger plan, bigger purpose. I didn't get that car. I was still driving my 1998 Infiniti. I remember that vividly. Um, and it was okay because it was still getting me around point A to point B, right? But the money that I was going to selfishly purchase a car with, I purchased a whole building for the Annie Re Foundation. And this is the funny part. So that money, right? Just imagine how much money it takes for a brand new car. I was able to purchase that building. No note, no mortgage note, purchased it straight out with cash, had to get an attorney to um, make sure, you know, everything was clear and, and right for sale, had to um, get an engineer to test the soil and all of that stuff, right? And I'm using this money that I'm saving for my car. It was like it never ran out. I'm like, oh my God, when God has something for you, it is definitely for you. So I'm going to pause right there. Let you ask me any questions before I go on, because like I said, this story is long and good. Wait, hey, you're good to go. This Black Men's Sundays, we do an hour show on here, but I do want to dig into the, the crux of any Root Foundation. You know, I understand it's not just a sign up and you're in, you know, your guys are teaching student engagement, workforce skills. You know, you're offering a summer intern program. You also have them write a thousand word essay. So it's not just a sign up in your end type of thing. So just give us some details on the, uh, the existence of the Annie Root Foundation, the importance of it, why you set it up and just the type of sponsors you have in place. I'm sorry, that's like a five point question, but that's what we do. I'm from Bethel High. You got to ask commissioners. That's a Virginia thing, but go ahead. Yeah, so thank you for that. So back in 2012, that's when I initially launched um, the Annie Ruth Foundation. And one of the first programs was the summer internship program. It just came up as a concept. One of my board members um, actually had sent a young lady to work um, the prior summer. And the attorney who um, accepted the student came back to him the next summer to say, hey, can you put another student back into my firm? So my president contacted me and said, hey, is this something the Annie Ruth Foundation wants to do? 
and I asked him some really good questions, right? Like, who are you doing this with? Blah, blah, blah. And he had all the right answers. So me and um, that president at the time, Stan, and two other board members, we put our money together and put a student to work that summer. But then that's when my mind just started going like, oh my gosh, okay, this is the beginning of something big. Um, so I put together some criteria and it was a one day program way back then. But then I had in my head though, how I wanted it to look, right, a visionary. So here we are 10 years, fast forward, the program is exactly now how I wanted it to look back then, but it takes time. It took, it took 10 years to get us where we are now. So back to uh, one of the questions you asked in terms of um, the eligibility criteria. So the program is for high school juniors and seniors. They have to have at least a 2.0 GPA, and we know that's very relaxed. Um, it's just that we don't want all of the high achievers only in the program. So if you're 2.0, you're good. Even if you're almost a 2.0, you're good because you have an entire year to work towards getting that 2.0, right? So you're in the program with the anticipation of at least having a 2.0 before you graduate from the program. And it is a one-year points-based program. Now, when I say one year, we do literally engage the students for an entire year, but we only meet once a month. So on the third Saturday of every month, we're engaging the students in what we call business seminars. The business seminars are three and a half hours. Again, that's just once a month. And during that time period, what we do is we bring in community leaders from all over the world. Um, we bring in, and, and what they look like, the community leaders, these are TV personalities, radio personalities, politicians, CEOs, successful business owners, just people that can come in and engage the students sharing snippets of their life that position them to be successful because our students need to hear that. They need to, uh, there's a saying, you, you can't be what you can't see, right? So we want to bring all of these individuals in from all over different career fields, et cetera, so that these students can see it and know that they too can become whatever it is they so desire to become. So um, another part of the eligibility criteria, as you mentioned, Corey, the student have to write a 1000 word essay. That essay is all about them. It basically focuses or asks them, what is your career aspiration? Why did you choose this field? And how can participating in this program assist you with accomplishing your goal? We think that's very important because oftentimes a student will pick a career field based on, oh, I heard it makes a lot of money. I remember one time everybody wanted to be a pharmacist <laughs> because they say pharmacists make a lot of money or I wanna be a nurse because my mom was a nurse. It's like, okay, do you have the capacity to be a nurse? So why did, why did you really choose that field? So again, we are just wanting them to really get to thinking about why they chose the field. In addition to that, um, and, and the students find this out as well and the parents, we engage the parents in this program. We don't believe in a student coming in, participating in the program, and the parent knows absolutely nothing about who's interacting with their child or exactly what it is their child is learning. So we even have required parent meetings as a part of this program. So not only do the students um, attend these monthly business seminars and the parents have three um, required um, parent meetings throughout the course of the year. We also create this platform so that the students can volunteer. It, it's so important to us that we teach these students the importance of giving back to the community. So there is a group um, volunteer experience embedded in the program. And there's also a group team building experience or activity embedded in the program. Last year, that group team building experience was us taking the students to the Jacksonville Iceman hockey game. And that was important because of exposure. If you ask youth, um, particularly um, African-American, right? What's your favorite sport? They'll say basketball or football and maybe a little bit baseball, right? But do you like hockey? Nope, don't like hockey. Why don't you like it? They've never even been to a game, right? Um, I remember when I went to my first hockey game, me and one of my um, board members, 
And we went there for a networking opportunity. We were invited and we were going to speak with the CEO at the halftime. And we had already devised our plan. Okay, after halftime, we're going to leave, right? We're just going to sit there through halftime so we can have this meeting and then we're going to leave. But it was so engaging and so good. We stayed there to the entire game. And it's like, you know what? We need to expose our kids to the game of hockey so that they can then make a more informed decision as to whether or not they like it. Right now, they don't know for the most part, because if you go to a hockey game, you may find maybe 10% if that to be diverse. Otherwise, it's um, mainly Caucasians in the audience, right? So yeah, so that's the criteria, the eligibility um, criteria. And I'm going to stop again so that I can dig a little deeper after you ask me some questions. Okay. Yeah. Cause I was going to say, you know, we talked about exposure. Commissioner Scott asked about exposure like three shows ago. And I feel like we don't have exposure. Just a quick tidbit about me, you know, Saturdays and Sundays, my mom loved to watch Bonanza, Gunsmoke, all them little Westerns, but I'm in the house every week. And I have friends going to Italy, going to Germany, going to Los Angeles. I had at that point, I had never been from New York to Virginia, never even been to Florida, which is where I live now, but I had never even been anywhere outside South of, really outside of South of uh, South Carolina. So that leads me to my next question. You know, when we talk about um, Black excellence, you're the example of that. I mean, you have over 30 plus years experience as project manager, training and development. But one thing that stood out to me is you being a human resource manager in the corporate world. And you know, in my position working for a news station, I do see people come in sometimes for interviews. They're not properly dressed. We can't talk about the hair anymore, you know, with diversity and all that, which I like because I have braids and I love it. But I'm just saying like the unpreparedness of the brothers and sisters in our community from a high school age. I remember being in eighth, ninth grade, my mom taught me how to write a check, how to sign it. What side you write it on? What side you sign? What you know, can you spell the percentages? Can you spell the money out? So, you know, I want to just touch on that because, you know, this is Black Men's Sundays. We're talking to Black men, like I said, 60% of Black women listening, which I love it. But, you know, as a human resource manager, just tell me what you saw in that field with our people coming in for the interviews and how that helped aid you in the preparedness with the Annie Ruth Foundation. Absolutely. Excellent question. So I was recently asked to explain my why. Why is it that after retiring for, from corporate America, I put in countless hours just to prepare youth for their future, right? Um, so to your point, Corey, as a human resources professional, I was able to see firsthand how our young people came in and presented themselves, right? Um, not all, but in a lot of cases, their communication skills just weren't up to par. Um, they weren't dressed appropriately for that interview or for that first job. So I am of the belief that if they knew better, they do better. And I just wholeheartedly believe that. So with the skills and, and the knowledge and, and the background that I have, it's like, if not me, then who? You know, I mean, everybody can say, not me, not me, somebody will. If everybody took on that attitude, nobody would. And I, I wanna actually challenge your listening audience, right? If you have a skill set, don't just sit on it. Like TD Jake said, you gotta go to go to go to your grave not fulfilling your dreams because you're sitting on your skill sets. We have to invest in our future generation because I think I heard you say it maybe on a different podcast, but um, we're just passing through this world. We're, we're no, I think it was actually Commissioner Corey when he was um, interviewing with you on the podcast a few weeks ago. We're just passing. So what is it we're going to leave behind? We have to leave something behind. And I, I just so strong hearted, so strongly believe in, in that same concept. Hello, this is Commissioner Scott from Atlanta, Georgia. So I got a quick question. Okay. I'm a fellow executive director as well. And thanks for being my mentor uh, during these last couple of weeks. I appreciate it a lot. What tips would you give to new executive directors seeking to gain corporate and community partners? that will fund and provide resources to support their mission and their vision. 
that's an excellent question. Um, <laughs> we're in the process right now of preparing to host our 10-year anniversary gala, actually October 8th. And with that, we are seeking some um, event sponsors. So we are knocking on doors and that is not an easy thing. Um, what I would advise a new executive director to do is um, if you're wanting to target a particular company or business, right? Go to their website and take a look at their core values and um, other organizations, companies that they've given to in the past and see if that align with your vision and your mission. Chances are companies and CEOs, they're going to give to those organizations that directly align with what it is they believe in or what it is they're doing. And if you don't align with what they're doing, chances are they're not gonna open the door for you. Um, so when you identify the company organization um, that aligns with your vision and the work that you're doing in the community, and then um, write a letter and build a compelling case as to why they need to support the um, effort that you're embarking upon. So as a business leader of an organization where relationships are a key to operation and growth, what advice would you give to all business leaders regarding creating sustainable relationships that will last? Yeah, absolutely. This is so important. So oftentimes when we have relationships, we um, as nonprofits, I'm speaking, we go to these individuals, these companies when we need something, right? Oh, time for this fundraiser. Oh, need to um, um, sponsor the event that I'm hosting next month. Let me ask ABC XYZ for some money. But it's so important that they hear from you even in times when, you're, when you don't need anything. Otherwise, they're going to start not liking to see you come because they already know you're coming with your hand out. Another thing that the Annie Ruth Foundation does, and we are so good about this, we have a lot of community partners. We have community partners, we have community sponsors, and there is a difference between the two. But we are just so proud of the fact that we give just as much as we receive. Now we can't give money because we're asking for money, right? But there are a whole lot of things that we can give and, and we pride ourselves on not just having our hand out. We take advantage of opportunities to find out what some needs, even if it's connecting somebody with somebody, that's a give, that, that's something that you're doing to add value to what they have going on. So get in that mindset as well. Don't always come with your hand out be willing to do something and give something back to those who give to you. One more thing I do want to add, because this is also so important. Oftentimes people come to the Annie Ruth Foundation and ask for something. Um, can the Annie Ruth Foundation buy a table or buy a ticket or give a donation? And I'm like, oh my gosh, we're in need of the Annie Ruth Foundation can't, but guess what? Dee Wilcox can. So oftentimes I do that on a personal level and I make it perfectly clear Although the Annie Ruth Foundation cannot, I can personally, and I write that check or do that cash app or buy that ticket from a personal level. And you have to do that. Otherwise, why would you expect somebody to give to you if you're not willing to give to others? Thanks for that advice. I appreciate it a lot. I heard people claiming they're CEOs because they got a business and they might pass a couple of cards out, right? Well, you know, what exactly is a CEO to you? What's your definition of a CEO? And what's the most important lesson that you have learned as a CEO and executive director of the Andy Ruth Foundation? Yeah, so a CEO basically is aware of everything that's going on within the organization. Don't necessarily have to do everything, but you're definitely aware and um, things report up to you, right? Um, in terms of uh, an important lesson that I've learned as CEO, that is um, relax, right? Um, if somebody misses a deadline, nobody dies. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> just relax and delegate. Don't be afraid to delegate. Don't hold on to everything because you will die trying to do it all. So delegate, trust, observe, um, correct if necessary, but definitely delegate. I want to dive back into the Annie Ruth Foundation from an experience perspective. Talk about some of the experience that the students um, have been afforded. Oh yeah, so um, like I said, we've been doing this for 10 consecutive years. Oftentimes we're asked, well, what jobs do you have? And I tell them, we don't have a bank of jobs that we're ready to hand out. 
our guarantee to the student is if they do well in the program, we are going to place them in a safe professional environment that directly aligns with their career aspiration. So it doesn't matter again what it is they want to be or become, do or become. Um, if they do well, we're going to give them that hands-on experience, the adult mentor, and a paycheck. We've had um, students um, in terms of career aspirations, um, like I mentioned earlier, every year approximately 50% of the student population aspire to become a, a medical professional of some type. We have engineers, we have veterinarians. Last year we had an astrophysicist. We have human resources professionals, surprisingly, and I say surprisingly because oftentimes as young folk, you don't even know what a human resources professional is as once you go off in, into the corporate world that you learn about it. But we've had at least three human resources professionals to come in. We've had journalists, we've had writers, we've had film producers, uh, film directors, video editors. I mean, the, the list goes on and on. Lots of different types of engineers, may I ask, add, we've had civil engineers, industrial engineers, chemical engineers, aeronautical engineers, and computer engineers. So all of them have come through our program and we've placed all of them in different organizations and companies so that they can complete a six week internship experience so that at the end of the experience, they are better positioned to make a more informed decision as to whether or not that's what they really want to do. And that's before they go off to college. See, it's really important to get them at a young age. I know, um, and, and I listened to that podcast with Commissioner Scott, and what he said is you need to introduce concepts to these students or, or these kids earlier on so that their mind can start um, matriculating and, and they can just kind of understand what, it, what, what their strengths are, what their likes are, so that when it's time for them to make a decision, at least they have some knowledge based on what they've been introduced to. So um, again, the whole purpose of the program is for the students um, to be positioned to make a more informed decision as to whether or not um, they want to do what they think they have in their head that they want to do in this moment. Now, what we've also found, and what, I, what I'm gonna do is focus on Jacobin at this time. Jacobin came into the program and he thought he wanted to become a pilot. So he said, I wanna be an aeronautical engineer, ultimately becoming a pilot. Um, and he was the first um, with that aspiration to come through the program. And like I said, our guarantee to these students is that we're gonna place you in that environment, right? So when he came in and he was one of our, our rock stars, I knew he was gonna do well and be selected as the award recipient so that he can get that job. I'm thinking, where on earth are we gonna place Jacob and he wants to be a pilot? So I did find a place for him. He went to Sterling Flight School here in Jacksonville. And um, Scott and Mindy Malone were the owners at the time. They took him in and they taught him all of the um, parts of the aircraft. They taught him from an administrative perspective how the school is operated. They even took him up in the airplane on quite a few occasions. And when we brought the students back together, we call it a post-experience celebration. That's where we bring them all back together and they get to openly share with their peers how their internship experience went for them. So it was Jacobin's turn. And I'll never forget Jacobin explained and described exactly what I just described to you. And then he said, I don't want to be a pilot anymore. And it's like, okay, keep talking. What happened? He said, when I got up in that plane, I thought I was going to die. He has a fear of flying and he didn't even know it, right? Had he not come through the program, he would have found out eventually, I'm convinced, but it would have been after he spent numerous hours, right, at the school and, and a lot of his parents' money, right, trying to go to the school only to find out that he has a fear of flying. So Jacobin changed his major. He um, did a 180 degree turnaround. He is now in med school. He wants to be a psychiatrist. He's at the University of Florida. Actually, he just graduated from the University of Florida. So that just tells us that this program absolutely works. So the program is either going to solidify for the student that they're on a good track and that's what they want to do because they had that hands-on experience and it was wonderful. It's going to let them know that, oh my gosh, I need to explore my plan B, sort of like Jacobin. Um, or it's going to just say, okay, I'm still feeling myself out. This was a good experience. I'm going to get some more experiences before I make a decision. So um, again, that's what the program is all about. And it is definitely viewed as a life-changing experience by the students as well as the parents. Excellent. And we're talking, you know, Black Men's Sundays, we're talking generational wealth. Were you thinking about generational wealth when you founded the Annie Ruth Foundation? I can't say that I was absolutely thinking about generational wealth. Um, 
when I founded the foundation. However, um, as we developed the programs and um, solidified what components would be in the program, definitely generational wealth came to the forefront. Because in, unless you're inherited, in, unless you, you're, you've been left an inheritance, right, by your parents or your grandparents, and you just got this money, you're just born into money, right? You look like money, right? Um, you need to understand what you're going to do for a living, right? Um, it's all about understanding what your 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 strengths are and your passions are what your interests are right so that you can get in that job it's also understanding um, concepts such as do I want to make six figures or do I want to teach school because some students think or some young people think you can do both and the reality of it is you can't so what we do within the program is we give these students what we call a career exploration assignment it is a powerful tool. It's nothing more than a research tool. And I heard Commissioner Scott talk about research and what they do within um, their organization as well. It's so important to research. So with this particular tool, it asks the really good questions, right? And it makes the students dig deeper from a research perspective. So it asks questions such as, how much does one make coming right out of college going into this career field? Um, what's the starting salary? Uh, what company, if you decide to come back to Jacksonville, what companies within Jacksonville um, would you want to work for? So now they're doing research, they're exploring. Do you know of anyone who currently works in this field? And yes or no, right? But then it asks, what three questions about this career field do you have? List three burning questions you have about this career field. So they list those questions. The very next question says, now contact someone in this field interview them and ask them those questions. And it's a, you, you, if you don't know anyone in the field, perhaps your parents know someone who knows someone. In other words, I don't know anybody is not an option. You need to find someone in the field, interview them and ask those, them those specific questions. And what that does, Corey, is a, a couple of things. Number one, it gets the questions asked for the students, but number two, they now have a network. They reached out to somebody, there's a relationship established, now, and chances are that person who they interviewed is going to say, if you ever need anything, if you ever need any guidance or anything, you call me and let me know, right? So now that's starting a networking um, experience for the student as well. So that's another um, aspect of what's involved in the program. This is Black Men's Sundays. We have women, we have men on here that are parents of these children that we're talking about. But I want to talk about exposure outside of the Black community. A lot of the students that I speak with live in the Black community, their parents live in the Black community, work in the Black community, shop in the Black community. They don't go outside of that. But I just want to know the importance of getting outside of our community to aid our generational wealth. Because I feel like people feel like, you know, other races are against them. They don't feel safe. But I feel like, you know, these days, that's not the case. So give me some input on that. Yeah, yeah. It's so very important. Diversity, equity, and inclusion. That's the buzz going on. It used to be diversity and inclusion. Now they added, added equity to the equation. Um, but it's definitely important because it's just not real world to think that there's only one race, right? And you only have to coexist within your own race. And that goes for African-Americans as well as Caucasians and some other races as well. They just kind of coexist within their own community. But that's, again, not real life, because when you go into corporate America, especially, you're going to be expected to um, get along with everybody. You're going to be expected to respect other people's values and beliefs systems, not agree with, right, but respect it. Um, so if you're not exposed to it and you get into corporate America, and I'll use corporate America as an example, um, then how are you going to behave? You're not going to know how. So it is very important for parents to introduce their students to other things outside of their communities, outside of their races even, um, go on trips, right? Um, invite other cultures into your environment, be comfortable enough to do that. Um, but again, exposure is so, so very necessary. Talk about it at the dinner table. Don't be afraid to go there. Um, talk about some differences. Talk about um, we're more alike than we are different. We hear that as a, a cliche, right? But it's so, it's so true. They say when you're born and when you die, nobody, it doesn't matter, right? When you're born and the babies are in the nursery at the hospital and they're surrounded, it's very diverse. And when you die, you're at, at the um, 
um, cemetery and you don't even know who's around you. But even in between that, it's just so important to understand other cultures. Um, just for understanding purposes. Again, you don't have to agree, but just, just know and understand so that you can be enlightened and so that you can know how to act, how to behave when you're in a different country even, right? But again, exposure is just everything. And, and it's just so um, important for parents to expose their children to the best of their ability. And I know we say, okay, we can't take our kids out of the country. Okay, how about to the museum? Okay, that there, there's an avenue. How about to um, a hockey game even, right? We talked about that a little earlier, but exposure is just so, so key. So Corey, speaking about how many female listeners are tuning in to Black Men's Sunday, and Ms. Wilcox, you being a CEO, a boss, a Black woman, do you have any advice for the brothers for if they have women similar to you, bosses, decision makers, how can they uh, properly deal and embrace your leadership? Because some brothers have issues dealing with that. Yeah, don't be intimidated. Yeah, just embrace it. Just embrace it. Um, so if they're a couple, right? A couple and and the young lady is a they call them type A personalities right they're moving and shaking um, um making some 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 moves right um just embrace it just let her do her thing don't try to stagnate her don't try to put your thumb on her and keep her in a cup no just let her do her thing and um the truth of the matter is if you're in a solid relationship you're you're king we we believe in having our kings right but just let us do our thing give us a little freedom a little rope and um. We're on the same team, so it's all for the better. It's all for the good. All, all, all for one for all, and all for one, right? So yeah, just give her some space and and let her let her move and shake it. You're gonna benefit in the end, I tell you. Prior to COVID, we were at 64 in terms of our numbers, number of participants in the program, and 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 keep in mind this is a one-year points-based program. When COVID came about in 2020, we took a hit because we weren't able to market the program as we had been in the past. So our number decreased to 50, whereas we had been seeing a steady climb, right? Um, then the next year, we took an even harder hit. Our number went down to 35. It's like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Uh, because this stuff is so good. We don't want 10 people in the class. Um, and, and we're virtual now, by the way, since COVID, we did go virtual and um, I'm not sure if we'll ever go back face to face um, because our reach is much um, wider as, as a virtual platform. But this year, um, we are so excited that our numbers have increased even greater than we were pre-COVID. So this year we had 75 students enrolled. We had to turn six of them away because they weren't eligible. They were in 10th grade trying to get in, <laughs> trying to play with the big boys. Um, but um, we're very pleased to say that our, our numbers are climbing. We only want 100. Once we get to 100, we'll have a waiting list. And that's because we do a lot of personalized things within the program, such as reach out to the parents, talk to them on the phone, text them, call them, um, email them, and the same with the students. And if we grew that number greater than 100, we'd have to go to automation, um, automating some of the things. And we don't want to do that. We want to keep the personalized touches that we have, which is what differentiates us from a lot of other programs here in the city. And I want to talk about some of the workshops that you do as well resume writing, interviewing skills. Yeah, so with our business seminars, um, every month we have a different topic and we bring in the experts to facilitate these seminars, subject matter experts, right? Within the program, we have a five-part workforce development series. So for five consecutive months, um, the focus is workforce development. So what we did is we brought in a professional from Microsoft and what the professional um, introduced to the students is LinkedIn. So we're very familiar with LinkedIn, right? Um, I think I am connected with uh, most of you um, who I'm communicating with right now, but for the most part, our students aren't familiar with it. They know about Snapchat and Instagram and Facebook, but they don't have much knowledge about um, LinkedIn. So on yesterday, they were able to create a profile they learned about the security and privacy um, um, features within LinkedIn. They even started their networking journey within LinkedIn so that everyone who comes into our space to interact with the students, they can then reach out and connect with them. So they're well on their way to um, 
their, their networking journey. So the second part of the um, five-part series is where I have three human resources professionals to come into the space and they facilitate um, three different workshops. One is on resume development, one is on effective interviewing skills, and one is on how to dress in a business environment. So then the very next month, part three, we um, do mock interviews with the students. So now they're putting into action information that they learned the prior month. So each of them have an opportunity to um, answer some questions from a different set of human resources through this mock interview process. And then the very next month, they literally do a real business interview with a different set of human resources professionals. And this time it's two on one, two um, interviewers with the one student. So we are preparing them for what they are about to embark upon because for the most part, none of them have had a real um, business interview. And then um, for part five, what we do is we teach them about what employers want. And, and again, with my background being in human resources, I've seen far too many times these um, young adults and even some older adults, they get these good jobs, right? Only to be terminated because they don't know what the employer want. In terms of policies, you have to understand policies. So if you're at work, you got this good job, and now you're sending email from the company's email system, and it's not even business related. Guess what? That's a violation of somebody's policy. So again, we go into policies, we go into sexual harassment, we go into a whole lot of things in terms of expectations, in terms of what the employer wants versus um, the employee just showing up and thinking they got it made since they landed that job. So that's the five-part workforce development series. We also have um, financial management, which ties directly into what you're talking about every Sunday, right? Through a partnership with Community First Credit Union, that's one of our financial institutions here in Jacksonville, they send in two professionals during the month of April because April is National Financial Literacy Month. And what they do is they teach the students about financial investing. And that's one of my personal favorites. I actually request that of them because when I first went into corporate America, my company offered a 401k and my mind thought was, nope, don't want to do that. I need my money, you know? <laughs> so I didn't invest in my 401k for an entire year. And then something went off to say, look, <laughs> you, you got your money. You're just investing it in your future. And I don't want any of the students to go into their first job with that same mindset. So again, if they knew better, they do better. So it's incumbent upon us to give them everything that they need to be equipped for when they step out in the workforce. Another um, workshop that we have, we call it Mind, Body, and Spirit. Um, that's a three-part um, workshop, but it's all within the same um, business seminar. The mind, that's mental health awareness, right? We bring in a mental health professional and she goes there with mental health in terms of, hey, if you feel something, say something. It's okay to not feel okay, right? But she really goes deep with um, mental health and some of the signs and um, you know some of the things that they can do, they, the students. Um, the body, I bring in um, a yoga instructor and they do a chair exercise and they talk about the importance of maintaining a healthy body right, in an effort to prevent some of the um, illnesses and diseases that are preventable, you need to exercise. And then with the spirit, um, I bring in oftentimes a youth pastor um, to speak with them about the importance of maintaining a relationship with the higher being. In our case, it's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, but we recognize the fact that there is diversity in the room and everybody may not be a believer, so we say a higher being, but then when the um, instructor is talking personally, of course, they get to say, for me, is my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, of course. Um, so those are just some examples of the um, workshops that we do with the students. And again, they're once a month, three and a half hours every time we meet. And we do that for 10, for 10 whole months. But listen, there is another one that I do want to um, mention, and that's our etiquette workshop. It's so important that our students understand the importance of how to utilize their eating utensils, right? Because they could very well be invited to a dinner interview. And during that dinner interview, that hiring manager or human resources professional, not only are they interested in what they have to say, but they also wanna see how they're gonna hold that fork or pick up that piece of meat and bite it, right? So again, uh, we bring in the professional, um, Ms. Simi Rayford, and she does an amazing job every year of going over fine dining um, rules in terms of table and dining etiquette. 
So yeah, those are just some examples of the topics that they get in this particular program. Well, that's amazing because back in my day, fine dining was like Applebee's. You know, we didn't do anything fine dining with the cold plates. I didn't even know what a salad plate was. I was putting my food on the salad plate. They're like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I didn't know. You know, we're used to paper plates where I'm from. So exactly. Yeah. So while I have you on here, I definitely want to touch on, you know, um, some finance tips from you, you know, as a CEO, as for other brothers and sisters out here that may have the same aspirations that you as you, but they're afraid to dive into it. You know, what type of money should they have saved up? Um, just give some financial tips. Yeah, so um, that's an interesting question. And I, I mentioned earlier about saving up money for a car and ended up purchasing a building. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you, other than that car money, I didn't have any money to start my non nonprofit. What I did, though, is I had a really good group of individuals who I reached out to and asked them to be on my board. So between those 10 board members and myself, we got the work done with little to no money. And then of course, over time, we started getting money. And I will also say, and I know um, Commissioner Scott asked the question, uh, what tips do you have or can give to someone who may want to start a nonprofit organization? If you definitely need money to start your organization, do go in this thing knowing that no one is inclined to give you money based on what you say you're going to do. They want to know what you've done. So you either have to save up some money and, and to start that nonprofit or get a good group of people like I had um, to help you start that nonprofit. But please don't go in thinking I'm going to get a whole lot of money and then that's going to allow me to do A, B, and C because the money is not going to come initially. You have to put the work, the sweat equity in first. You have to have the pictures and the stories to show what you're doing and how you're impacting lives. And then you'll gradually start seeing the money coming. So yeah, from a um, how much money is needed, I can't speak to that because I had um, little to none when I started um, the Annie Ruth Foundation. Wow, that's a great answer. And if someone wants to donate to the Annie Ruth Foundation, how can they donate? Thank you for asking. Um, so we do have a website and that website address is www.sowingseeds, that's S-O-W-I-N-G, S-E-E-D-S dot today. So that's www.sowingseeds.today. We also have a cash app account, which is dollar sign Annie Ruth Foundation. Um, I also give out my number, my personal number, which is 904-200-7202. Please feel free to give me a call so that I can answer any questions that you may have and talk about other options that you can assist the Annie Ruth Foundation with as well. I do also want to say that this year we have students participating in the program from the West Coast. We have um, a few from California, Las Vegas, Nevada, Minnesota, and Georgia. So we are definitely extending our reach and um, we're excited about that as well. So before I let you go, Dee Wilcox, the Executive Director, Founder, and CEO of the Annie Ruth Foundation, I just want to ask you this one more time. I already asked this question, but I just want to dig a little deeper for the brothers and sisters out there that say, listen, I want to start a foundation. I'm very passionate about it, but I'm afraid to step out and do it. What would you say to that? <laughs> I don't want to scare anybody um, off. I, I don't want to say be afraid. I do want to say um, my, my advice would be to explore other nonprofit organizations that currently exist that align with your passion. And that's, I, I strongly encourage you to do that because had I known the amount of work that it takes to get a nonprofit up and running, I probably would not have done it. So I think God didn't allow me to understand that off the bat, right off the bat, but it is a lot of work. And I also say, I mentioned that at one point I had 10 um, board members, even with 10 board members as the founder and CEO, especially if it's a grassroots organization like the Annie Ruth Foundation is, um, you're going to do 80 to 90% of the work. So that's just being real. <laughs> um, when you have volunteers, even at the board member level, 
other things take priority and sometimes last minute. So when other things take priority, the work falls on who? You, because you own it, right? So um, just go in just knowing that. I mean, it's not, a, it's not a cakewalk. It's a lot of work. But if you're passionate about it and you really want to do it, it's definitely doable. Definitely doable. So yeah, give me a call. 904-200-7202 if you'd like for me to dig even deeper. But again, my first advice would be to connect yourself with an organization that's already doing that work that you have passion about. Um, and then if there, if there are none, or if you want to start your own because you want to name it after your grandmother, like I named it after my grandmother, then definitely do it, but just go in with open eyes. Also, um, when I started my nonprofit, I had never done it before and it felt good and, and, and we, were, we were sailing, but then we have an organization here called the Nonprofit Center. And what that is, is a networking hub for all nonprofits here on the First Coast. So they offered this class called um, Starting a Nonprofit One-on-One. -on -one. And I said, you know, I better attend that class just in case I missed something. And I attended that class. And thankfully, I hadn't missed anything. I had all of my I's dotted and my T's crossed. But I would encourage someone who's getting ready to start a nonprofit organization to take a class on how to start a nonprofit because there are some things that you need to have in place at the very beginning that if you don't, you could definitely get yourself in trouble even with the, uh, the government, the IRS. So definitely um, be informed going into it. So Dee Wilcox, the Annie Ruth Foundation is based out of Jacksonville. A lot of our listeners are here in Orlando. Do you reach that far? So absolutely I reach. Um, when COVID hit us back in 2020, we had to do a pivot and we used a virtual platform. So what that allowed us to do is extend our reach outside of the Jacksonville area. We even have students participating in the program from Orlando, Florida. Um, we have a connection with a young lady, Jennifer White is her name. She actually lives in um, Orlando right now. She's from Jacksonville, but lives in Orlando. And she does an excellent job of um, assisting us with um, reaching students in the Orlando area as well. Great information. And I want to thank you for coming on Black Men Sundays. Like I tell all of our guests, you could have been anywhere in the world, four o'clock on a Sunday. You chose to spend some time, give some techniques, some life techniques, and give us those Annie Root Foundation techniques. So I thank you for coming on Black Men Sundays and I hope you had a good time. I absolutely had a good time and I so appreciate you inviting me to share information about the Annie Root Foundation. So thank you so much and thank you gentlemen for being engaged as well. Thank you. Thank you for coming on Black Men Sundays. Check.